Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with The Star. Welcome to another episode of our ongoing podcast series on focusing on the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. As you probably know by now, Mr Hutch is on trial at the non-jury special criminal court. He's charged with the February 5th, 2016 murder of David Byrne, who was shot dead at the Regency Airport Hotel in North Central Dublin. He denies the charge. Two men are also on trial alongside him. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are charged with facilitating the gang to carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Neither is charged with the murder itself. Now, like Mr Hutch, those two men deny the charges and all three are now on trial. We're into the third week of the trial and joining me to go through the recent evidence and some cracking stories he's broken in the last few days is the Star's chief reporter, Paul Healy. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mick. I'll take that compliment of cracking stories. Thank you. Yeah, I'll deny it if anybody ever asks me about it. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we might actually talk about some of the stories you've broken in the last few days on the periphery of the trial, and then we can get into the evidence, because I, I, I thought these were really, really interesting. You had one specifically about uh, Jerry Hutch being in prison. Now, he's currently held in Wheatfield Prison, and I thought this was a really excellent story. You might talk us through it. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you know, look, it, I think it's as a result of covering this trial, as we have done every day, and uh, perhaps even by doing this podcast, that um, uh, we've been contacted by by people and we've spoken to sources and we've obtained new information. And in the process of that, um, I, I learned a little nugget of information about Jerry Hutch and just the time that he has spent in Wheatfield Prison. So he's been on remand for about a year there. And I, I I got information from from a confidential source, um, uh, basically about an incident that happened. Uh, what this was prior to the trial, I'm told. So prior to the trial starting, at some point during his time in custody, um, Jerry Hutch made a rather uh, interesting intervention, shall we say, uh, in an ongoing situation that was happening uh, in relation to drugs coming into Wheatfield Prison. I'm told. And uh, look, drugs come into prisons all the time. Contraband is caught. Sometimes it gets through the net. Uh, and that's just a, a fact. But Jerry Hutch is located in a particular area at Weefield Prison where he is somewhat isolated, although he is free to move around uh, and mix with uh, other prisoners who would be deemed to be uh, Hutch-affiliated or, or people that would be friendly to him and, and not of, of a risk to him. And so I'm told that there was an ongoing issue with drugs being smuggled into the prison and that prison officers had expressed concern about this and that Jerry Hutch essentially said, that he would try his best to intervene in the situation and do something about the situation. So he made a rather public spectacle, I'm told, uh, in, in a yard in Weedfield Prison, where he went out and he kind of exclaimed in front of the prisoners that were there uh, in a warning uh, not to be bringing the drugs in. Um, and he did so flanked by by prisoners who would be loyal to him, I'm told. Now, this wouldn't have been like them. It's important to, to state this because I was somewhat challenged about this on social media. <laughs> It's not as though this was uh, a scene from Gladiator or uh, that this was in the main yard of Wheatfield Prison. Uh, this would have been in a particular yard where certain prisoners uh, who are deemed to be safe to mix with each other would have been allowed to mix. So a quite a limited yard. We're not talking hundreds of prisoners here. But Jerry Hutch did this uh, in, in quite a public way. It was, was witnessed by a number of people. Uh, and it, it's a fascinating insight, I suppose, into his time in prison and 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 his character to a degree. Oh, I've I've never heard anything of the like about that. I thought it was a great story. But tell me, did your sources give any indication? Did his appeal or command did it have any effect? Yeah, well, again, uh, you know, uh, it's it's interesting. My my sources were telling me that there was a noticeable 
uh, uptick in drugs uh, at at the time prior before this, and, and that following this, that there there seemed to be uh, less drugs coming in. Now, whether that's as a result of what Jerry Hutch said, or whether uh, you know prison officers just got better at catching contraband coming in, or or, or there was a bit of a um, you know everybody got a bit more cautious as a result of what Jerry Hutch said, we don't know. But it is interesting that less drugs appear to be flowing in following uh, the monk's the monk's apparent uh, intervention. And one of the main ways that drugs or contraband do make their way into prison is they're thrown over walls. Now, we know that in Wheatfield and other prisons, there are nets, but obviously they can sort it. I mean, I remember they used to throw years before, years ago before the nets went up, they used to throw uh, tennis balls over the walls. But there are obviously ways that they can get it through the net. But the, the net is, as it as the, you know, it does what it says in the tin, it's a net and it's over the the, the the entire yard, I suppose, and that's an effort to stymie drugs, but some literally would get through the net. So he's obviously tried to staunch the flow even more. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's Jerry Hutch. Everybody knows who Jerry Hutch is. I think to a certain extent, he he has a level of respect among uh, certain cohorts within uh, the criminal world uh, and within the prison that he's housed in. Uh, so whether his words meant something, perhaps they did. Um, it's not a negative story about Jerry Hutch. It's, it's if it's true, it's a, in terms of of him having an impact. It's a positive story about him. But I think what's interesting about it is that, uh, and you know, you would have a, a better understanding of this, Mick. That Jerry Hutch used to portray himself in the past as someone who was anti-drugs. So I don't know whether that's this is in keeping with his public character, shall we say? Anyway, yeah, he was very much regarded as a Robin Hood figure, but. I'm not speaking about Jerry Hutch himself, but if we talk about the Hutch gang or the Hutch outfit or people associated with the Hutch uh, gang, guards are very clear, guard sources are very clear about this. The Kinna and Hutch feud, largely, it's not about two gangs facing off against each other. And they've said this repeatedly. It's about one gang that broke in two. So we know, for example, that the feud started, well, it started in 2013 when someone tried to murder uh, Daniel Kennehan in Spain and as a result of that various things happened and in September 2015 Gary Hutch, uh, Jerry Hutch's nephew was shot dead in Spain. We know that Gary Hutch was very close to Daniel Kennehan. There are pictures of them together out in pubs and restaurants. Effectively Gary Hutch hived off from that gang. Now there's, you know, there's plenty of different scenarios about what happened but if some guardian on the ground will tell me essentially this feud is a, a feud about control of the drugs market in north central Dublin now they will say that they believe that Gary Hutch wanted to take over the whole drugs operation from Daniel Kinnan, and that's what kicked it off. And I'm sure the people on the Hutch side will, will say something different, but you know it's important to state that look, there are people in the Hutch gang who are heavily involved in drugs. I mean, that that has to be said. Yeah, um, I think we'll move on from Jerry Hutch for the moment. We'll be returning to, to some of the evidence that's been heard in the trial uh, this week. But uh, you mentioned another story there just in relation to Jonathan Dowdall. Yes, so Jonathan Dowdall... We know that he was originally charged with the murder of David Byrne alongside Jerry Hutch, but he later pleaded guilty to the still a serious charge, but the less serious charge of facilitating the murder. And there was an Oli Prosecco entered so in the murder charge against Jonathan Dowdall. So as part of that, the sentencing, he was sentenced. Was it four years he got? Yeah, he was sentenced to four years in prison for facilitating the murder of David Byrne. Yeah. But but as part of that, the judge allowed him and his father two weeks to get their affairs ready before they presented themselves. So we understand that he has presented himself to jail authorities and he's in custody. Yes, I'm told he's in custody. Now, those are interesting words because beyond that, we're not exactly sure 
where he is. Uh, we know that he and his father uh, were were legally ordered by the Special Criminal Court to present themselves to Port Leash Prison, which um, I was told that they did on Monday. And they would have done so under a heavily armed guard. Uh, Jonathan Dowdall is now a major target in many ways. Uh, um, he is the most high-profile prisoner uh, that the Irish prison service has ever had to deal with and the guards are responsible for his security and getting him to that prison so I'm told he presented himself to Port Leash prison but after that anything literally anything can happen he could be transferred to any prison in the con- in the country and that order can be made on the spot so that actually happened with Jerry Hutch when Jerry Hutch was flown into Baldonnell airport he had to be driven all the way down to Port Leash prison but there was never any question that he was going to be able to be housed there because uh, there were so many uh, enemies, shall we say, that would have been housed there. So he had to be presented there and then he was immediately transferred to Weefield Prison. So um, we can speculate to a degree uh, on what might be happening with Jonathan Dowdall. Like to an extent, he, he has a four-year sentence and he has to serve it. But he is also the state's witness uh, in the case against Jerry Hutch. And so it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much of that sentence he'll have to serve. But I'm told that he will be likely housed in Port Leash Prison, uh, in in a very specific block that uh, it, that is usually just reserved for um, some very restricted prisoners, uh, prisoners on restricted regimes. And I'm told that he's more than likely on a landing with no more than a handful of other prisoners. But he's still even that. Um, we're talking five or six prisoners. He probably won't even be allowed to mix with them. I'm told. So, so, if, so if my recollection is he got four years, now the standard, which everybody is entitled to in the Irish prison system, is 25% remission. But there's a thing called enhanced remission, which is, 30 up, which is 33%. So the maximum really he can do three quarters, uh, is three years, but he might do two and a half or whatever. And it is interesting. I remember from other, now, we know that he is, he is being considered for the witness security programme. That's up to the, I think it's up to the Attorney General and various government departments if they accept him. You know, I've, I mean, we're fair to speculate that there is a chance he will be put on the witness security programme. And, and that means that he will effectively have to start his life again abroad. Him, probably he and his family will be spirited away to some foreign land and he starts again. I think the phrase was in the court was previously used was year zero. So he will effectively start again somewhere abroad. Yeah, uh, prosecuting counsel Sean Galan ha- has stated that uh, essentially Jonathan Dowdall's life uh, to a degree is over uh, after the statements uh, that he made. Um, and, and you know, we've yet to see what will happen with him when he's released. But uh, a, a source has speculated to me uh, that Do- Jonathan Dowdall will serve a limited amount of time in prison before he'll be granted what's known as temporary release. Um, so technically speaking, he'll be serving a sentence. But he won't be serving that in a prison. Um, so, as you say, he'll likely be spirited away at that point. Um, what's interesting about Jonathan Dowdall is that we have yet to hear his evidence before the court, but we think that that might be happening in the next fortnight or so. And we'll discuss that in a bit uh, when we're discussing the trial. And I, I insist in this podcast that I put my anorak on at least once. So, obviously, Mr. Dowdall is going to be sent abroad somewhere. But one really interesting fact, because I've seen some speculation about America, I might even have thought that uh, witness protection, witness security program, not witness protection, it's called witness security program, uh, members can go to America. But I was speaking to someone who was centrally involved in this for quite a long time, and, and they told me that no, Americans do not accept anybody from foreign witness security or witness protection programs. So no Irish person 
has ever gone to America and no non-American person has ever been brought into America. So it'll have to be somewhere else and the indications are that it won't be America. Anyway, that's my anorak fact of the day. Yeah, that, I didn't know. That's actually fascinating. So, I mean, it, we just don't know where he's going to end up, but no matter where they put him, I think he, uh, it'll have to be somewhere where he's not going to be easily recognised. Yeah, and just I mean, to further on this theme, one of the questions I was asking this person, as I say, who really was central to administering it for quite a long time is, you know, how much money will it cost? Will the Dowdows be given a couple hundred grand a year? Will they buy them a new flat apartment or a house or whatever, you know? Will they become rich out of this? What this person said is, essentially, the life you get abroad mirrors the life that you had here, right? Now, he told me he fully expected, you know, they, won't even, they won't even buy him a house. They'll rent a property for him for the first few months when he's wherever he is, he is abroad. But essentially, you know, he, this person thought he, if he were administering it, he would be hoping that it would cost the state about a hundred thousand euro. Because remember, when he's abroad, the guards won't be protecting him abroad. It'll be there's a thing called mutual assistance, so guards protect people on witness security programs here. And obviously, if it's whatever whatever country it is, police officers over there have to protect Dowdall or any other witnesses. So you know he he because we we I was thinking it would cost millions, and you know they'd have to have a, a monthly stipend or whatever. I said, no, listen, you're very much on your own. They give you a new life, but really you have to stand on your own two feet. And I just thought that was interesting because we've heard all this stuff about going to America and, you know, having a lavish lifestyle. There won't be any of that for uh, doubt all at all. Oh, it's fascinating. And he'll have many enemies. We know uh, that he has been, um, re- his membership, or shall we say, or, or rather his affiliation with Republican movements has been revoked. Uh, he's certainly not going to be a friend of the Hutches anymore. And um, the Kinahans as well. So, I mean, he has many, many enemies. He's going to be a target probably for the rest uh, of his life. And if I recall correctly, his his identity will be a secret. His new identity will be a secret and it will be an offence for any of us to publish his identity. So the media are, are barred by statute, I recall, from naming him. Anyway, let's get on to the, the, the court case itself. So last week it finished with the National Surveillance Unit, which is just a recap. They're the, the, the guards elite surveillance specialists who follow people. And we know that there were several days in which the National Surveillance Unit were involved in this and there were up to 27 members of this secretive unit involved. But I understand the last few days have also seen more evidence in the Special Criminal Court from these NSU officers. Yeah, uh, the last couple of days we've been hearing from more members of of the NSU. Um, Just to recap, when these members are giving evidence before the Special Criminal Court, members of the public have to be excluded. So um, there's been huge interest in this trial. So there's been transition year students and uh, and just general members of the public coming in uh, who've been ushered out every time uh, we have to hear evidence from the NSU. But the media are allowed in, uh, but each of these guards are given, um, they're given initials to their name, uh, designated initials, and that, that's all we can refer to them as. Rather than exhaustively going over every single one of these witnesses because I, I mean I've written about each one um, I think what's key to this are there's really three dates that are key to this so we have the the 12th of February 2016 we have the 20th of February 2016 um, and we have the 7th of March 2016 and actually sorry we've really got four dates because we've got the 9th of March 2016 as well and sorry Paul just to interrupt just for, for, for our listeners another key date which flows from everything this was the 5th of february which was the day that david byrne was shot dead in the uh, regency airport hotel in yeah. north dublin so the, there was yes. one there on the 12th of february which is a week later 
Yeah, so I mean, the 12th of February is worth speaking about first because um, this is something we only learned about this week uh, in terms of uh, a Garda surveillance operation literally a week after the Regency Hotel attack. Um, and we heard from, from a member of the National Surveillance Unit who uh, was watching um, a property on the Navin Road, which which is Jonathan Dowdall's home, uh, says that he saw an individual coming out of the property on a motorcycle. And he, uh, he identified this person as being Jerry Hutch. Um, th- this person was wearing a helmet and full bike gear, but the visor was down. And, and this Garda, who said that he would know Jerry Hutch, was able to identify him as being uh, Jerry Hutch. So the movements of Jerry Hutch were being tracked um, as early as a week after the Regency attack. Uh, and and that, that was a new revelation uh, that happened yesterday. Can I just interrupt one second, Paul? Just the visor, obviously... When you say down, it was in a position so that the guard would would be able to see the person in the face because obviously the, the visors there that in the way. But whatever way it was, the guard was able to what he said. Sorry, yes, the, the, he he was able to to see. Yeah, exactly. As I said, I'm not going to exhaustively go through each and every one of these. What what's what's important about these these dates on on the 20th of February, uh, 2016, uh, the guards were watching a, a Toyota Land Cruiser which was being driven allegedly by Jonathan Dowdall. Uh, and the passenger, um, they say, uh, was identified by numerous guardians as being Jerry Hutch. So we uh, followed much of the movements of this vehicle uh, from from the Dublin area all the way up uh, to a toll bridge and, and up into the north of Ireland. And what was interesting, I suppose, this week is that the defence for Jerry Hutch have become quite vocal uh, in terms of cross-examining each of these guards specifically on exactly where were you when you were watching this car and uh, at what point were you not watching this car and were you um, were you observing this vehicle in any way when it crossed over the border into Northern Ireland. And uh, we have been able to kind of guess as to why they keep talking about Northern Ireland, but today was particularly significant because this was the first time that uh, the Defence Council, Brendan Gretton, um Said out, said the loud part out basically for everybody to hear, which is which is that the the defense are basically concerned that the guards were possibly illegally. Uh, they uh, this is his words uh, monitoring um this Toyota Land Cruiser driven by Jonathan Dowdall allegedly with uh, Jerry Hutch in the passenger seat while it was in the north. So they wouldn't have the guards. They're saying wouldn't have had the jurisdiction to be monitoring this vehicle in the north of Ireland, be it uh, uh, monitoring in any way but also the expressed concern that it was potentially bugged and that it was being tracked uh, while it was in the north of Ireland. And if it was, uh, it'll be the defence's case that this was illegal and they'll be obviously arguing that that evidence can't be admissible uh, in, in the case against Jerry Hutch. And just may I ask, one of the NSU detectives was asked, was there a tracking device on it? And I think he pleaded privilege in relation to that. Uh, yes, he's one of many uh, at this stage who have uh, expressed privilege when asked that question. Uh, so they have not stated either way as to whether this vehicle was uh, bugged in any way, was being tracked in any way. So we don't know for a fact if it was, but no Garda has said uh, one way or the other uh, um, to date. Um, and Brendan Gretton uh, did, did express some frustration that uh, they haven't been able to get the answer to that. Um the guards have also been quite heavily across. This is members of the NSU have been quite heavily cross-examined about their use of uh, note taking. Some of these NSU members were taking notes of what they saw, and some of them weren't. 
and they've been challenged on their memory because a lot of them are, are, I mean, even here talking to you, I can't remember every date and time and registration that's been mentioned because we, we've heard so many. But uh, many of these guards have taken to the sand and they have been able to rhyme off uh, dates and registrations and, and whatnot. And they've been challenged by the defense. How could you remember all of this? And, you, you know, many of them, most of them made statements the following day so and didn't take notes. So the, the defense is very much forensically trying to examine now how could you guard a XYZ, um, remember all of these details, take make a statement the next day, um, not take any notes? Uh, so they're very much, they're all being quite forensically challenged uh, on exactly what they were up to uh, during the during that operation. And, and this is a subjective question and I suppose a subjective answer, but uh, their demeanour when they are given evidence, are they under pressure? Are they, you know, are they up for it? I'd say most of them are quite well versed in being asked questions of that nature, uh, and I mean expressing privilege. I mean they they probably likely knew that they were going to be asked uh, certain questions about the practices of, of of surveillance. But I think that that comes with the territory of being a member of the NSU. I imagine that you you, you wouldn't disclose what kind of tactics you're you're using uh, when surveilling somebody, and they, they, that's probably not so much for the purposes of being in any way trying to be deliberately secretive. I think they're just you know, they have to carry out future operations and they don't necessarily want to discuss in public in any way, you know, what kind of methods they might may or may not be using in these types of secretive operations. And it's probably say it's it's probably fair to say that it's not their first rodeo in relation to giving evidence. So it's something they're they're well used to. And just in relation to um legal argument, it's important to point out obviously normally when there's legal argument there, uh, before, a before a jury, there's a ban on reporting until the case is finished, but there's no jury here. So any legal argument will be played out in public. Yes, it, it, that, that's what's interesting about the Special Criminal Court. Uh, you know, as you've mentioned, in, in other courts, we just wouldn't be reporting any of the legal argument until after the fact. Um, but in, in this case, uh, there, there is going to be exhaustive legal argument, which is probably going to start maybe next week into the following week. And we'll be able to report on that. Um, but 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 that that is going to be one of the central issues is you know where uh, Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall allegedly being tracked, uh, being recorded, uh, being surveilled at any point while they were traveling in the north of Ireland, in Northern Ireland, and and if if that's shown to be the case or in any way, the defense are going to say you can't be putting this in as evidence against our client. Um, and and in many ways, a huge chunk of the evidence against Jerry Hutch seems to be uh, in relation to this surveillance and to the tapes that we've yet to hear of a conversation between John the Dowdall and Jerry Hutch, um, where where a number of uh, allegedly incriminating things have been said. So if that is all ruled to be inadmissible in the end of the day, there isn't much of a case left against Jerry Hutch. Uh, and... So we've yet to see what the prosecution's uh, angle is on this. We know we know now where the defence lies, as um, as Justice Tara Burns said today uh, to the defence. You've set out your stall now. You've stated basically what your argument is, and and that's all going to be comprehensively argued over the next week and a half. I'd say. And I believe there was some indication that there's going to be some evidence in about a fortnight's time. Yeah, so uh, Miss Justice Tara Burns uh, asked the prosecution where we are in the case, and 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 uh, Sean Gillan um, stated that we were quite substantially far along in the case, uh, and while no specific dates can yet be given, uh, he has indicated that we are at a certain point where we're going to have the legal argument uh, over the next week or so, and then within about a fortnight, we're going to possibly uh, 
have a person that was just referred to as as a witness be able to take the stand. We we understand that to be Jonathan Dowdall. So we're going to get to the meat and potatoes, as it were, of uh, of Jonathan Dowdall's statements, and he's going to be very heavily cross examined within the next two weeks. We expect. But just to recap, so the last few days, Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, really has all been about evidence from the undercover National Surveillance Unit and people they allege that they saw in various cars in Donegal and in Dublin in the weeks after the Regency shooting. Yeah, and and as you said, there's 27 members. We, we've now learned uh, further um, information just about to, the extent that many of these officers went to uh, to track certain vehicles. Uh, the other date that I mentioned, the 9th of March, um, that was a huge operation around the Malahide Industrial Estate. But that also began in Donegal. So there were guards that were watching the vehicle being driven by Shane Roan uh, coming from uh, through the Donegal area. Shane Roan was being watched in Donegal. All of his movements were being watched by Gardy, who had travelled up there to monitor his movements. And he was watched uh, until he went across the border. Again, that was challenged. Did you continue to surveil Shane Roan when he went over the border? The guards said no, they didn't. But they did know of his movements and where he was going next. So he went to Dublin. And then he was tracked to Dublin and he was followed into the Malahide Industrial Estate where he had this alleged meeting that we've already discussed with Patsy Hutch, the brother of Jerry, uh, Jerry Hutch. Uh, and, and there were several guards involved in that. Yeah, and 30 minutes after that meeting, roughly 30 minutes after that meeting in North Dublin, we know that Sheehan Rowan was intercepted by the Special Detective Unit in Slane in County Meath. And as a result of that, what they call in, an interception of a, a, a Foxhall insignia, Gardy recovered three Kalashnikov-style rifles, which were later forensically examined and linked to the shooting in the region. So in other words, the guards have given evidence that those weapons were the weapons, that were, those firearms were the firearms that were used in the region, including in the murder of David Byrne. Yes, and um, I don't know if we discussed, we actually had a story uh, a couple of days ago about Shane Roan, um, that, that Shane Roan has actually been released from prison now. So he's served his time in prison for that. He was jailed in July of 2016, uh, he was sentenced seven and a half years over those Kalashnikov weapons, um, but he's already out. Um, but but the but his name has come up again and again because of just the meetings that happened allegedly between him and Patsy Hutch, and allegedly between him and 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 Jerry Hutch uh, up in Donegal, and all of that is is forming the case now against the monk. Okay, that's great stuff, Paul. And do we know what's in the coming days, what's happening in the coming days? Is it going to be more NSU evidence? Yes, there's still more members of the NSU who have to give evidence. We've heard from the vast majority of them, though, it seems. Uh, and as we've already said, we're going to get into legal argument next. We've also yet, sorry, to hear uh, some of the evidence against uh, the other to- co-accused, uh, Jason Bonney uh, and uh, Paul Murphy. Um, we're going to be hearing evidence about uh, the detainment of one of them as well, which there's, there's apparently some legal arguments over the detention of one of them. And we're going to hear some of the evidence in relation to the cars that they're alleged to have been driving, um, you know, two of the, the vehicles that were used on, on the 5th of February during the Regency uh, attack. So the evidence against them will be heard. Then we're going to get the legal argument. Then we're going to get Jonathan Dowdall on the stand. And that might go on for some time because the defense have already said that they want to uh, heavily cross-examine um, that witness. Um, so it'll be an interesting couple of weeks ahead. Okay, Paul, thanks as ever. Very, very comprehensive and very insightful. Thanks a lot. And thanks for joining us today. And be sure to check in for our next installment of our star podcast on the trial of Jerry Hutch at the Special Criminal Court. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Shattered Lives. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, feel free to listen to our back catalogue. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. This series is produced by Kieran Bradley and is a production for Reach.